Welcome back to yet another edition of Comfortably Anum, the official podcast of the Umbrella Society. My name is Blake Anderson, the Programs Manager here at the Umbrella Society and the host of this program. I'm coming to you today from beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, on the unceded traditional territories of the Lekongwen-speaking people. Um, we're off to the races now with this new season of the podcast, and the continued support is super encouraging. I'm so glad that the stories of the focus on this program are resonating with the community and our listeners. Uh, when someone comes onto this podcast, I've said this before, the stories that they share are incredibly personal. And I feel that having the courage to come on and be so vulnerable on this cast is incredibly powerful and authentic. And that definitely resonates uh, and is so compelling to our listeners. Um, the big goal is always to raise awareness to the world of recovery and hopefully inspire those facing their own substance use challenges to make a step in the right direction. Hopefully the loved ones of individuals in active addiction can find hope in these stories. And also hopefully the public at large can look at addiction with a new human lens. So this is definitely our hope. And this was definitely our hope for our recovery campaign this September and what a campaign it has been. Um, yeah, just wrapping it up now. And, uh, you know, we are incredibly excited um, with the reach of this campaign as well as the response. I really do feel like we need to start looking at this incredibly challenging and complex issue of addiction in a more optimistic light. I know that's hard, obviously, with uh, it being such a such a hard uh, you know topic and, and very uh, polarizing. But, you know, I really think that we need to recognize that change is possible when people are given proper supports and opportunity and also with a good degree of perseverance. So even though our recovery campaign is over for this year, I'm going to continue to bring on members from this year's cohort to speak about their story and their recovery journey. And today we have a truly special guest. Uh, Stephanie is, has come on to the program to share her personal experience with substance use. Uh, Stephanie is a larger-than-life personality. She's gregarious. She's incredibly intelligent and insightful and truly one of the most charismatic people I've ever met. Uh, she has put her charisma to work as a social media influencer and entrepreneur. She's a mother. She's a mentor, an incredible role model for our recovery community. And uh, really, I, I admire how Stephanie speaks so openly about her substance use challenges. Um, her story is unique in the sense that she combated her addiction at the young age of 19 and worked through those pivotal years as a sober young adult. Uh, Stephanie really understood and understands the importance of having fun in recovery and creating a life for herself without substances. She also recognized the immense power of connection and recovery and committed to finding a social and support network um, for herself within the recovery community. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Stephanie to the podcast. Okay, Stephanie, thank you so much for coming in today. Um, yeah, it's really great that you've been part of our recovery campaign this year and uh, seen your face on the side of uh, buses and on our social media and we actually have a big banner uh, around the office, so, so <laughs> your fun. face is your face is getting known around uh, <laughs> around town. Um, you know, for being a strong woman in recovery. Um, really happy that you can come on and, and speak to this. Um, it's it's actually been a little bit more of a challenge getting women on uh, this mm -hmm. podcast to tell their story. So I think it's really great that you can be a role model and uh, you know have the courage to come on and and, and talk about it. So awesome! Uh, Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Very cool. So um, how many years now are, are you in recovery? Or sixteen and almost a half. Sixteen and a half. Holy <laughs> yeah. shit! I didn't realize it was that long. That's yeah. amazing. It's been a Very long time. Cool. I was okay. 19 when I got sober. Okay. In recovery. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And so you got tons of time under your belt. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to to get a bit of a backstory and hear. So 19, like that's an early time to get into recovery. Yeah. You know, for the most part, you know, most of the stories that that you know we hear, it's it's you know into your 20s or even later. Um, you know, where you actually have that kind of conviction to make a change. Um, yeah. So what? what kind of brought you to that point? I'd love to hear as far back as you want to go and, and start your story. I'd, I'd love to hear it. Totally. I'd love to share it. And yeah, it was quite young because I had just turned 19. So all my friends were starting to go to the bar and I was in rehab. So okay. it was quite yeah. an interesting thing to happen at that age. But um, my addiction started when I was 13, but it started beforehand. Like, and I'll just give you a bit of a background of who I am. So mm. um, I born and raised in Victoria. I've never lived anywhere else. I've gone traveling all over the world, but Victoria is my home. Okay. Um, I have my parents. My dad was a doctor, a GP in town, and he delivered babies. And my mom was a French immersion elementary school teacher. Okay. And I have a younger brother and we're 19 months apart. And so we had like on the outside, like a picture perfect life right like the nice big home i rode horses i did singing lessons you know we didn't go without 
all that kind of stuff. Mm. And um, our, our friends were, were all the same as well. And then what I didn't realize at the time, obviously, because I was a kid, but my mom was struggling with depression. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't understand why I couldn't make her happy. And I was constantly like the teacher's pet, getting straight A's, trying to impress her, trying to look perfect, be perfect, do perfect all the time as a young girl. And I just remember like my mom getting angry and walking around eggshells with her in the house and like her falling asleep on the couch often, right? Right. And just not knowing why that was happening. And um When I was about in grade four, my dad's mom moved in with us because she was getting quite sick. And so, because my dad was a doctor, he could look after her. And she was amazing. I loved her so much. And she played such a huge role in my life. But the following year, my parents sat my brother and I down. So I was in grade five and he was in grade four. And they're like, okay, we we need to tell you something. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to tell us that they're having another baby. (laughs) No, they sat us down because my mom was leaving. Oh, wow. So my parents decided to separate and that was devastating. Obviously going into that conversation, thinking that I'm going to get a sibling to right. now mom's moving out of the house wow. and I didn't see her much for that first year. And then the second year that they were separated, it was two weeks at my dad's, two weeks at my mom's. So mm. it was a huge adjustment. And that's when my grandma, she really stepped up and took the role of like my second mom. She was always there for us after school because my dad would work late with his right. practice uh, you know, made a snack. She would, she would, you know, just be there for me. I would write songs right. and sing them to her. And she would always encourage me, even though they were terrible. Like right. I found some <laughs> of them years later. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> but she, she was in it. She was, yeah, she your biggest was there, fan. Right. Yeah. She was so good. And, um, around that same time that they were separated, I was at a all French school here in Victoria and it was a small one. So there was only about 25 to 30 kids per grade, mm. all in the same class. And I started to get bullied by the girls there. Um, there, it was predominantly like military families. And I know they saw me as a target because I lived in a different area of town. My right. dad was a doctor. I like, I was pretty, the, the boys liked me, all that kind of stuff. And right. It was awful because I just wanted to be friends. I just Mm. wanted to have my friends and they would hang out without me. I'd find out behind my back. They would tell me to my face all types of names like you're a slut, you're frigid, you're whore, you're, you're whatever. Like it was opposite. How old was, how old are you at this time? I was like 11, 12. Like I hadn't even kissed a boy. Right. Like it was just anything and everything that could be thrown at me. And I realize now as an adult looking back, like, you know, those, those girls were growing up in single parent homes with alcoholics and right like of course like they were just taking out their hurt but i can compassionately you know right? yeah it's, at the it's time, one thing but yeah, yeah it's so different because at right. the time i was going home crying every day after school right. meanwhile my parents were separate all this stuff going on and my grandma started dying wow so all this stuff was happening at once and i was still getting straight a's they asked me to skip a grade i chose not to because i want to stay with my friends even though in hindsight i probably should have skipped a grade <laughs> right um my Uh, My parents, my grandma ended up dying and my parents ended up getting back together um, at the end of grade seven, beginning of grade eight. And I actually don't remember this at all. Like this whole time period is blacked out for me. And I now know that this is a sign of trauma. When we don't remember things, it's because our brain's protecting ourselves because our body is experiencing that as traumatic. And me as a little girl, I was experiencing trauma, being bullied. Um, My parents were separated, now getting back together. My mom and I butt heads so much right. and my dad no longer was there as a support for me because he was a support for my mom now right right which he had to do for their marriage but again as a child i don't understand and that must have been hard too when you haven't seen your mom very much mm-hmm. in that in, in a good bunch of time as well right like the that's... second year it was like two weeks on two weeks off but right. we fought like i so would run away from her house often like we it was not good right it was not good um and i was getting bullied at that school like i said And I wasn't telling anybody. Mm. And I finally confided in one of my best friends who lived down the road from me. And she made me go and tell my parents immediately. And my parents were like, you're not going back to that school ever. And so I switched schools to the school that my my best friend, Laura Lynn, was going to. And she introduced me to all her group of friends. And they accepted me right away. They loved me. They wanted me around. They made me feel good. And um, they were also drinking and smoking pot. (laughs) Is this like grade eight? Yeah, grade eight. I was 13 years old. So that's when I started drinking. And I remember the first time I picked up a drink, I was like, I love this feeling. Mm. I love this courage it gives me. I love the way it makes me feel like confident and comfortable. Mm. And I remember wanting more. 
I wanted more that first time and I actually blacked out that first time too and I didn't have a lot of alcohol but I blacked out that night too and it went on from there I started smoking pot after that too but I was very against hard drugs at that point sure and those group of friends started to get into hard drugs and I actually wrote them a letter being like I'm scared you're gonna die like you need to stop doing okay. it was like ecstasy you need to stop doing this like Da, 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 da. So you're, you were fine with just the, the drinking and a little bit of weed. and I right, thought that was right. totally that fine, was a, right. right? And I would skip class to go smoke weed. We were drinking every weekend. Like this is yeah. grade eight, grade nine now, right? Like I was looking back, I was young to be doing right. this, right? right. Um, lying to my parents, they didn't know. And then what's funny about that letter I wrote them is that I ended up being the worst out of that entire group of friends only two years after that. Uh, okay. So really, really interesting. Um, I ended up going on Accutane for acne which is a really harsh acne drug. And you sign a waiver that you can't get pregnant when you're on it and you shouldn't drink alcohol when you're on it because mm. of how severe it is. It could damage the baby. Um, but also when you drink on it, like it's dangerous because this drug can also affect your moods. So mm. I, of course, was a teenager not listening. Right. I was still drinking and I started to get suicidal on it too when I was drinking. I remember just feeling like, oh my God, I want to die. Like I think right. I need to die, right? And like that terrified me and I think it's just an important thing just to say like I didn't act out on it at the time but I felt like that and I know that there's a lot of other young teens and people who are drinking or on other medications that feel that way too and I say that out loud just because I want Mm. other people to know like they're not alone in that and that's same with me sharing my story of recovery and addiction I share it and whatever else I'm going through in my life I share those kind of things so people don't know they're alone right so um, after that, I you know progressed throughout school. My grades dropped. I was still a volleyball player for the city and the and the, our high school, and we did quite well. But I started showing up to practices high. I was drinking and driving as soon as I got my license. My car was like our hot box. That's where we kept right. okay. all of our drugs. Like yeah. it reeked. Like it was awful. And so it got to the point, um, probably around like grade ten, grade eleven, where I was smoking pot all day. So before school, at break, at lunch break again after school and then before bed um and i had all like the sprays the visine everything to hide it from my parents and teachers but you know obviously i'm not going to do well at school when i'm doing that right and then i started um dating this guy who was into cocaine and i didn't do it with him the first time i did it randomly with that that best friend that had made me tell my parents we were downtown drinking and there was these guys down there just hanging out they invited us back to their place to smoke pot she passed out because we had drank too much and then they started doing cocaine and they're like do you want some and something clicked in my head where i was like yeah i want some and i did it behind her back she didn't know that i did it and but for some reason i i did and i was addicted from that point on so i was 17 years old at that point and at that as soon as that happened I couldn't drink without doing it like right, it just became supplementary to yeah, that right every time and I liked that it made me feel in control and mm. I liked that I could drive still right. it's so so crazy no but uh, absolutely though the the reasoning behind it though makes sense right that, right yeah and I was no all of a sudden sober right up and right? and yeah have the confidence at the same time as the control yeah. Yeah. yes and I was known as like the good drunk driver like the everyone wanted to go in my car because they right. knew that they could trust me and I I took like that was a badge of honor for me right. which is so like oh my god breaks my heart now because I'm like that's so dangerous I'm right. so grateful that I didn't hurt anyone or I didn't get yeah. hurt or anything because that's all we did my car was the party spot and so started skipping school grades I barely uh, graduated high school um was doing all the drugs partying all that kind of stuff and I used to have dreams of like going to university and like getting scholarships like I had big aspirations as a little girl I didn't care at all like I completely lost who I was and what I wanted out of life and all dreams all my dreams I didn't I didn't I just wanted to party that's all I wanted to do and so after high school I um just kept working my pizza delivery job it was okay. perfect because I could drive around and smoke pot and they didn't totally. care. And I had all the <laughs> they pizza They leave you alone so yeah. long as you, yeah, get the <laughs> yeah. pizza where it needs to go. Yeah. Right. And then I started, um, I started dating a drug dealer. And of course, we kind of, we kind of all know how that story goes. Mm-hmm. It, I had tons of access to everything. We started doing illegal things. Um, I put myself in very, very dangerous situations with this person. And um, that was after I graduated. So by December, the Christmas after I graduated, my parents and I and my brother went to a trip to Hawaii. And when we came back, there was a letter on our doorstep. And it was telling my parents everything that I was doing, the drinking and driving, the getting in fights, 
like I thought I was tough when I was drinking too, right? right like, yeah. don't fuck with Changed me. Changed your whole fuck persona, you right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're looking at right. me now. You're like, really? Right. But now I'm actually sitting here with a broken hand. You, you're like, you maybe you could. Right, totally. Maybe you could. Right. Fuck me up. Right. No, but I thought my parents didn't know I was getting in fights. They didn't know I was drinking and driving. They didn't know I was doing cocaine. Like they, they thought I had a problem, like with alcohol, because they saw the way that I drank and they knew right. that it was, you know. But they, I think they chalked it up to being teen, a teenager, right. just kind of going through the rite of passage yes. kind of stuff, right? Because most most teenagers can't help handle the alcohol like I right. went under the radar for a long time with that until this letter came and so my parents read it so this is just a letter that like anonymous an anonymous letter mm -hmm. anonymous so it I didn't spelled know everything out yeah and oh, I didn't shit. know who wrote it I had no idea and my parents handed it to me and they made me read it and they said is this true and I was like well I I'm not gonna lie to you and say that it's not right. and I don't know why I decided to be honest in that moment not that I was fully honest but I yeah. told them it it wasn't a lie right and so from that moment on, they knew that they, they needed to get me help. So they started leaving like um, rehab brochures. They started talking to me about treatment and they made me go to drug and alcohol counseling. And I wasn't being honest in that counseling session ever right. either. Right. Right. Um, but they were more aware of what was going on. And I would go missing for for weekends, for, for days from them. Like I missed my mom's birthday. I'd miss very mm. important family events just because I'd be partying. And I would right. go on benders nonstop hanging out with people that were way worse than me because yeah. it made me feel better right I'm flying not, under the radar right i'm yeah. not like this I'm guy like yeah guy. i'm like totally. way better than them i don't have a problem what are you talking about right but my parents finally gave me an ultimatum and they said either you go to rehab right now or you can get out of the house and mm -hmm. i was like fine fuck you i'm out i'm leaving okay. so i moved in with my drug dealer boyfriend and, and how um, old are you now this like 18 i was 19? still 18 18 i was still 18 years old and uh so then i started doing all the, his activities with him like back and forth to vancouver like it's so crazy the things that we were doing so i thank god the mm -hmm. cops didn't bust us because like my entire life would look very different at right. this point right. um but i always thought it's so crazy because at the time i also thought like they're not gonna think that i'm involved in this all this place stupid like <laughs> right. are you serious totally <laughs> like, the stories we the tell ourselves right, oh right my gosh yeah. like the cops aren't stupid right <laughs> They know I'm involved. It's funny what you can talk yourself into, though, yes, right? You yeah. justify everything yeah. to to keep your like lifestyle and addiction alive, right? Right. Um, and around March, my mom took me to Hawaii on a mother daughter trip. She was trying to reconnect with me, trying to create this relationship with me. And she brought all these rehab brochures too to try and try and convince me to go to treatment. And I looked at them and then I threw them back at her and I was like, no. Like, I don't have a problem. I'm fine. Like, I want mm. to be doing this. Right. Um, but that trip was, like, really pivotal for my mom and mine's relationship. We got matching tattoos at the time. And so that was March. And the following month is when I, I hit my bottom. Mm. I hit my bottom. And what it was was, like, any other day. Like, I had gone on another bender. Um, I found out one of my friends had been hitting on my boyfriend. And I called, like... It was like, it was in the morning and I called him and was like, I'm going to go beat her up. And he's like, okay, like whatever, like you shouldn't Steph, whatever. I go back to the house. They've locked the doors because I told them I was coming right. and I climbed through the window and attacked her. And then I went back home with a few of my friends because my parents were both at work this day. So I went back to like my family home right. and I remember calling my boyfriend being like, ha, I got her. And he's like, I'm going to tell your parents that you're doing drugs again. Because I had been telling them that I had been stopping. That I was right. just drinking, but I wasn't doing the cocaine. And I started bawling. And I was begging and begging and begging him not to tell them. And then something again clicked in my head that day where I'm like, you sound pathetic. Like right. you are actually begging someone. Right. What are you doing? Right. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll tell my parents I need to go to rehab. And I phoned my dad at work. He always picked up my phone calls, even when he was with patients. Like, bless his heart. He's a great yes. man. Right. Always picked up my calls. Yeah. And I said, Dad, I want to go to rehab. And he canceled the rest of his day. He came and got me. Um, and we started calling treatment centers with my mom later that night. And I ended up at Cedars okay. um, a few days later. Right. So May 2nd of 2007 was my first day in treatment. And I remember getting there and the doctor was like... <laughs> Uh, so like when's the last time you used? And I was like, Oh, like a week ago. So I already have a week clean. He's like, okay, when's the last time you smoked pot? I was like, well, yesterday, right. <laughs> but that's not a drug. Doesn't, yeah. That doesn't count. Yeah. Doesn't count. So he's like, okay, today's your first day clean. And I was like, what? Like what? So anyways, that was my first day. And then I also remember him telling me, he's like, you know, you would have ended up being a prostitute. Right. And I was like, I'm offended. 
Right. I'm offended. Right. No, I wouldn't have. But like the longer I stayed in recovery and then I saw like where addiction takes people, I'm like, Mm -hmm. that totally could have been possible. Right. Like if we look at like the trajectory of where my addiction took me from straight A student, teacher's pet to like almost failing high school, doing nothing with my life. Right doing drug deals like when when the drugs become the focal point you yes. know and the and the the tunnel vision yeah, it's yeah. almost anything's possible and yeah you can talk yourself into almost anything yeah, yeah absolutely right. so yeah so the treatment was honestly what changed my life and i've been sober right. since that day of my okay. first day of in treatment so how was your experience in treatment um i mean it's it's always uh, it's so different for everybody but it's usually pretty pretty groundbreaking it was. Time? Yeah. It was. Um, it was terrifying for me, obviously. I just turned 19. I was the youngest person there. Everyone else there was 10 plus years older. And um, I just didn't know what to expect. And I didn't know anything about addiction, the disease of addiction, the disease model, whatever. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. So I was learning all of these things. And I would. I think it probably took me like two, three weeks to actually like start to resonate with me that... Um, like addiction's a disease. I have this. It's not my fault. I have mm-hmm. it, but it's my responsibility to do something about it. Right. And I remember every Friday night, the alumni would come back up, the people who had graduated um, from Cedars. And there was this one woman and she was like, I'm nine months, right? And out of everyone I went through treatment with, which is about 60 people, because new mm-hmm. people come and go every single week. She's like, there's only four of us that are still sober. We're still Mm. in recovery nine months later. And I remember being like, that's going to be me. Like, I'm going to be one of you four. I'm not, I'm not doing this. Um, And I knew because everyone knew back home that I had a problem with drugs. Everyone knew, right? Like it was talked about. Sure. And everyone knew I went to rehab. So I also made this commitment to myself. Well, if you guys know, if you guys know that I have a problem with drugs, you guys know I'm at rehab. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk. I'm going to do everything in my power to like show you, myself, my family, right. that I'm doing something about it. Right. And that, yeah, I do have this. Right. I'm not going to hide it. That's, and that's such a key piece. And that's, you know, what we always are talking about in recovery is mm-hmm. you got to talk about it. You got to talk mm-hmm. about the struggles. You got to talk about, you know, um, what's keeping you, keeping you going in recovery. Right. Yeah. And just like, like being open about it and not having the stigma of guilt and shame that, you know, that's it. Right? It's the shame. Right. It's that shame is like the lowest vibrational on the Mm. energy scale. Like Mm -hmm. it keeps us so sick. And I remember the first time I went to an AA meeting too. I remember like it was, it was, it didn't, the first time I went to an AA meeting was actually prior to when I went to treatment. Laura Lynn, the best friend that made me tell my parents I was getting bullied. Her, um, I I shouldn't, I shouldn't break anonymity. (laughs) Someone in her life, um, took me to meetings. Okay. For my first time and i didn't i didn't i didn't stay sober after that but i remember hearing there my story through other people's mouths right the way i was feeling coming what? from other people's mouths and i was like oh my yeah. god i'm right. not alone the relatability i'm yeah. not alone like other right. people feel like this right and um yeah and like i said like it didn't it didn't I didn't stay sober right after then, but I never forgot it. Right. It planted, it planted the, the seed. seed. Absolutely. <laughs> it planted yeah. the seed. Right. And um, I think that was like the main thing too. It's like when we talk about guilt and shame, when we're not talking about our addiction or what's going on for us, what's underneath mm-hmm. the addiction, mm-hmm. it keeps us in that low spot where we feel like we're all alone. And right. we've heard this saying in recovery, right? Like secrets keep us sick. Mm-hmm. They truly do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to be like me and like you go tell the world that you're right. in rehab or in recovery. You don't have to do that if you don't want to do it, but you can share it with somebody. You have to get it out in you some way. You have right. to get it out. Right. You have to get it out. And that part I would say was like the most healing thing for me was hearing other people's stories and then Mm. actually starting to speak myself because I didn't, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what was going on, but being able to relate to other people was like, it just gave me a lot of hope. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, we always kind of say that, that, you know, when we keep it to ourselves, we just give power to that, to that side, to Mm -hmm. that addiction. Right. And, and as soon as we talk about it, you know, even if we're not, you know, even, even if there's no resolution, it still takes that, that power away. Right. A little bit. It's really interesting how it does take the power away. Yeah. Like saying it out loud, it does. Because when we keep it inside, like our thoughts, we can ruminate on it. Right. Like it goes over and over and over and over again in our, in our head. 
right? And and then getting it out at least, or like writing it down can also help sometimes. Right. Just somewhere to out. just get that out and be able to look at it yes. objectively and yes. right. Yes. Right. And um, so after I got out of treatment, so I was there for 42 days. I liked my treatment experience. To answer that first okay. question, yes, yeah, yeah. I really liked treatment. That's great. I started to feel myself again. Not that I even knew what myself felt like, but I right. remember like the first time I laughed without substances right, for right. how many years, right? Where, able to have fun. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And have like friends. And then I started to see other young people that would come up for the alumni meetings, right? And I started hmm. to make friends with them. And I'm like, okay, like this can be fun, right? This right. I can do this. Right. And all I knew too was like, I, I hated who I'd become. I hated the things I was doing and how I was treating people. And I never wanted to be that version of me again, ever. Right. Yeah. And so so I'm like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay in recovery. Like that's right. just, it's first and foremost, the most important thing. Right. And someone said to me, it was, I think it was a counselor up there too. He says, I never want to be that version of me again. Hmm. And, and she, the counselor was like, well, Steph, you don't, you don't have or have to be that version of you again, but you will if you pick up a drink or a right. drug. Right. And I'm like, there's my choice. There is my choice. Right. So although like addiction isn't a choice i have a choice in whether i choose addiction or recovery today sure right and every day and that's what i learned in treatment too it's like we need to remind ourselves every single day that we're in recovery making your bed brushing your teeth in the morning like how right. simple is that but i wasn't right. doing it yeah you know like reading the daily reflections just right. doing something reaching out to another person in recovery keeping up that practice keeping right. it up so learning yeah. all those little tools that i started to implement into my life right. that's that's what really helped and then after, after treatments, a whole other, whole yeah, other I mean, thing. so uh, this is, you know, the fact that you're so young and you have such conviction, you know, the amount of people that have gone off to treatment and, and either not kind of resisted what, you know, the philosophy or, or really resisted, you know, that early phase of recovery or, you know, got out and then really struggled afterwards is, you know, like that's. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it came down to con conviction This not really, you know, having that, no, I'm not going back there. Mm -hmm. So what it looked like for you coming back, you know, obviously it's mm -hmm. those, those transitions are so hard. You've just spent all this time working on yourself, mm -hmm. redefining this new you, but then you're going back into, you oh, know, yeah. same, same haunts and same relationships. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, so what, what did that look like? Um, it wasn't smooth sailing. I'll say no, that. Yeah. Um, and recovery isn't. And that's, no. I think that's like a misconception that some people have sometimes that mm -hmm. they think that like, if you go to rehab or you, you start recovery in whatever fashion it is that like life's going to get perfect right away. It, right. it doesn't yeah. like yeah. life is still life, right. but recovery gives you the tools on how to handle it. Right. Um, so for me, I went, I went back into my parents' house. Like, thankfully, like I had that support of them yeah um and they always made sure i had access to their cars to get to meetings so i'm really grateful for that otherwise i had my friends come pick me up for meetings if they were busy okay. so i so what i did was um i had a treatment plan after so i went to four to five meetings a week i ended okay. up basically going daily because i loved the way i felt after right and like, yeah. I never regretted going to a meeting ever. Right. And I needed it. Like, it's kind of like the gym in a sense. Right? Right? It <laughs> yeah. is. Right? You might, you might not feel like you need it, but, and you always feel better kind of coming out of it. Always right? feel yeah. better coming out of it. And I didn't want to fall off the edge. Like I remember someone telling me like, okay, if you want to be successful in recovery, you need to put yourself in the middle. So mm -hmm. like go to the meetings, go early, stay late, talk to people, share, make yourself known. Because mm -hmm. if you stop showing up, people are going to notice. Right. And they reach out and it's way harder for you yeah. to relapse if you're, if people, if people care about you yes. <laughs> right? or invested. Yes. Yeah. But coming back was hard in the way, like, um, you're right. Like I was like, oh my God, this, this spot is triggering to me. Like mm. I used to use here, I used to use here, I used to use here. Right. So what I did in that way is I grabbed my recovery friends. I, so here's, I also made friends in recovery. That was, yeah. I had to do that. I had that to put connection. myself out my right. comfort zone. Totally. We need to do that. Absolutely. We need a community. And yeah. I know that's hard for a lot of people, I know. but if you want to get like in recovery and yeah. change your life, you got to do that. Right. And you can do hard things. We yeah. can do hard things. You guys, like you right. are capable of doing it. So I grabbed my recovery friends and I would go to my old using spots wow. and then okay. we would make new memories there. Just okay. fun ones. Yeah. Yeah. And Just so now it took the power away. Cool. Yeah. So instead of just like hiding from it and just, oh, I can't go there, yeah. you've redefined what that, what that place mean, meant yeah. to you essentially. Yes. Very cool. And we would talk huh. about it and just like go play music and have fun. And, and then it, it really did take the power away from it. Um, and then I wasn't to talk to my ex drug dealer boyfriend, but then of course I called him the first day I got out of treatment, mm -hmm. obviously. <laughs> Couldn't stay away. That was like another right. addiction in itself. Right. Um, and we met up and um, I remember telling him like, like, 
he can't bring anything around me. And when he met up, like I could tell he was under the influence. And then I saw like a bulge in the side of his pocket and I put my hand in his pocket and I pulled out a bag of drugs. And I was like, wow, wow. And then I didn't talk to him for a month after that. Cause I was like, I need to put recovery first. But then he somehow weaseled his way back in. After <laughs> Infiltrated. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I went to aftercare group, like once a week counseling. Mm. And they told me there, like you either break up with him or you're going to relapse. Mm. But I just wanted to stay sober so bad. I just, I did. So I broke up with him. And thank, thank God I had people in my life that were honest with me and called me out and told me the truth. Right. Like, thank God. Right. Because I had a lot of friends that co-signed my shit for years mm-hmm. that told me I was good. I wasn't that bad. And oh my God, fuck that person for telling you this. Right. No, now I have people in my life that actually cared about me to right. tell me the truth. Yeah. You know, and that's funny. It's, oh, <laughs> the much better friend is the one who can tell you the truth, even mm-hmm. if you don't want to hear it. Right. Yep. You know, those hard conversations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's pretty easy to just be a wingman and, totally. you know, pump your tires. Yeah. But it's not the one to actually be like, hey, you know what? <laughs> you can do better or, hey, I don't like this. Yeah. Right. You know, and yeah. So that's, that's really cool. And I think if we're getting triggered, it's a really good sign that mm-hmm. we need to to look inwards and dig deep of why am I getting triggered? Is right. this actually true? And I'm just in denial about it. Right. Like what is actually going on? Right. Why is this such a sore point? Why? Yeah. Right. Yes. So yeah, that first year, honestly, I went to lots of meetings. I hung out with lots of friends. I did lots of fun things in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a job. I started upgrading my high school courses because I okay. thought I wanted to be an addictions counselor, yeah. but I didn't even have good enough grades to get into Camosun college. Like okay. I had to upgrade you high had to, school. Yeah. You had to go back to work. Yeah. yeah. And so I started doing that. Um, Amazing. Yeah. That's, that's got to be empowering. Hey, it, I, it was. Right. It, like, I felt really good. I'm not going to lie. I yeah. loved the way I felt. I loved my new life. I was very open with everybody that I was in recovery. Um, and I talked about it a lot. And it, it just felt good. But I was working at this job. And it was like a $12 an hour job, like a call center, like AT&T. Okay. You, right. you call yeah. someone. That's me. Okay. Customer service. And I remember looking around and it was a lot of middle-aged people, uh, very unhealthy, mm-hmm. miserable. And I was like, oh, I don't want this for I'm my life. I'm yeah. not doing this. And this right. is when I really committed to go back to school. And so that's when I upgraded my classes. I went to Camosun. I did, um, what's it called? The two year of psychology. I did that. And then I transferred to UVic to get my social work degree. Oh, wow. So I did that over a total of five years also. Amazing. Yeah. So you have your social work degree? I have my social work degree. Okay. Yes, I do. And so. I ended up not doing addictions counseling. Life right. took me on a whole other whole other route that way. But what I will share about this time of being in school, because what was happening on the other side is I ended up getting a job at Cactus Club, hmm. the restaurant, right? Yeah. And around alcohol, right. um, I ended up also getting a job at Upstairs, the nightclub. Wow. Like, okay. I'm These are like dangerous. Wa- right. Yeah. Right. Fully in it. But here's huh. the thing too, and I'll explain more about this, about being in recovery. I didn't want to be as scared, afraid of alcohol. Like right. I didn't you get didn't in recovery. You didn't want to be bubble wrapped. You no. want it right. You I got into recovery to live life. Okay. So that first year in recovery, I didn't go out. I didn't put myself in any situations that were red flag situations that I felt were dangerous for me. I mm. stayed clear. Mm. The second year, there was a lot of young people in recovery. I went to young people's AA meetings and NA meetings here in Victoria. Um, a lot of young people would go out dancing in recovery. Mm. And so I was like, okay, like I'll go out with you guys cause you're safe. Right. So people in recovery and I always made sure to have a drink in my hand. So I always just had cranberry soda and still gotcha. to that day, that is my go-to drink when okay. I'm at a restaurant or whatever. I yeah. love cranberry sodas. And the trick to that is that when you have something in your hand, people are way less likely to ask you if you want something. Right. So no one's buying you drinks. No one's buying you drinks. And okay. if they try, you'd be like, I'm good. Thank you so much. I got one. Gotcha. It's okay. way easier. And then being with people in recovery, they know, like, if you right. need to leave, you leave. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, people have your back. Yeah. And so then I started to realize, too, when I was out there and having fun, having so much yeah. fun dancing, right? I was 19, 20. Like, right. So you still got to live. It's not like, I and I think that's that. the, the misconception a lot of times. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I've, I've, you know, I've stopped using basically, you know, that, my that chapter of my life is <laughs> over and I can't have fun anymore. I think that's such a huge um, piece that people miss. And, you yeah. know. When we talk about recovery, it's pretty serious shit that we're, you know, meetings are, can be pretty heavy and yeah. that fun in recovery is not talked about enough, right? And how to actually have, have fun, fun and live, yeah, live your life and, mm-hmm. you know, enjoy yourself, right? I've had more fun in recovery than I ever did drink, right. drinking and using. Right. And of course, there were some fun times drinking and using, but I will say... Anytime, did, did I ever wake up the next morning and be like, I'm so glad I did that last right. night? <laughs> totally, never, totally. never. The, like, right. I'm serious. Mm, For me, not yeah, once. Right. Like, I yeah. woke up 
awful like guilt riddled, shame riddled in guilt yeah Ugh, you know totally, absolutely. but fun and recovery is so important and it's right. so possible and like you can have fun without alcohol and drugs mm-hmm. and it was so funny too because like people are always shocked they're like oh my god you're actually fun and you're not drinking i'm like right. yeah <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's sad that it's, it's you possible. need alcohol to right. have fun. Like, absolutely. Like our yeah. society's so backwards just, in that way. Absolutely. Right? Like, yeah, oh. it's such a misconception, right? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So so by the time I worked at Cactus and at Upstairs, like I, I was confident in myself. Like mm. I, I went to meetings all the time. My best friends were in recovery. Like I my two feet were in recovery. So right. it's not like I was like, maybe I'll test the waters and go work at this place. No. Yeah. Everyone that worked with me knew I was in recovery. Okay. Everyone. Because you talked about it. And they had my back. Always. If anyone tried to buy me a drink, like bartenders would be like, nope. Right. (laughs) And like shove them out of the way. You know, like it was really cute. Like even though I could handle myself, but it was really nice that they were like, nope, she doesn't. Or if like they were um, doing rounds of shots, like, as staff, they would get me one of cranberry juice, right. so I didn't feel totally. Left so you're what right, exactly? It was yeah. just it was things like that, and I know like that can ruffle some feathers in the recovery community. Like it always did. Like mm-hmm. where some people are like, oh, I can't believe she's doing that. But on the other hand, it's like, no, good for her for going and living her right. life and not not being afraid. And I I know that's not the case for everybody. Like not everyone's going to feel comfortable doing what I did, yeah. but it worked for me, right. and I'm yeah. happy I did it. Well, and I think the missing piece is you weren't hiding your recovery. Whereas so many people, they don't want to, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to uh, mm-hmm. share with other people, especially outside of the recovery community. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you know that that this is part of your life, and mm-hmm. I don't do that. Or they'll discreetly slip in, oh, I don't drink, you know. But the fact that you're like, no, I don't drink. I'm in recovery. Yeah. That changes everything because, yes. like you say, then you have people have your back, you mm-hmm. know, and that, you know, mm-hmm. it, it sets that's, the ground. It sits the groundwork, right? It you does. Know? And yeah. that's literally what I would tell people. They'd be like, oh, can I get you something? I'm like, I don't drink. Why? Because I'm an alcoholic. Right. I literally would say that. Yeah. So I'm like, why, why not? do we have the shame yeah. of saying that? Right. And it's not that I like identify. I'm Stephanie Rain. I'm an alcoholic. Like, right. as we it's, do in the, like, that is not my identity. Gotcha. But like. I had no problem saying that. Like, yeah, Hmm. like I will identify as as that if I need to, Mm -hmm. but that's not like where my identity is wrapped up in today. Right. Like that's not all of me. Right. It's not. I'm so much more than that too, but like it does explain things. And also I wanted to remove the stigma. I hated how Mm. much stigma was around that. Right. I didn't like it. So I'm like, okay, well I'm going to break that and I will be that person so that other people can feel safe enough to go explore recovery too. And I can confidently say like, I have helped a lot of people by doing that. Absolutely. And that brings me like a lot of joy. Like, like I'm really, really grateful that I've been able to do that. Right. Cause I've had a lot of people come to me over the years and been like, I think I want to just come try out a meeting with you. And I'm like, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. And they wouldn't have done that if you weren't so open and exactly. <laughs> willing to share your experience, exactly. right? Exactly. Because yeah. I know a lot of people think too, like we were saying earlier, it's like if you get in recovery, it's like you're going to smoke cigarettes and drink coffee and you die. Like mm-hmm. it's like right. You're, right. It's you're not just fun. Hanging on for dear life. My yeah. life's over. Right. Like, no, your yeah. life just starts when you're in recovery. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, you know, I think that was also the fact that you hit the ground running and actually realized that you did have to build a Mm -hmm. social network, you know, in recovery and you did have to kind of redefine yourself Mm -hmm. and, you know, and seek out those, those areas of connection. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, it's one thing to stop using, Mm -hmm. but it's another to actually, you know, rebuild and figure out. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I know it is challenging for people. Like, I'm not going to say it's super easy always to make those connections in recovery Mm -hmm. because we were saying earlier, it's like, you do have to put yourself outside your comfort zone right? and it is going to be scary, but like that is potentially the thing that really is going to save your life. Right. And like you have that choice to make, right? Like, do you want to continue living life the way you've been living it? Like, you know, it doesn't work. Yeah. You wake up hating yourself. You don't. You're not happy. Or do you want to take a chance, right, on a new life and trying something new? Because yeah. I think too, it's like, it's very true for like just my life today. I, like I have a business with a huge team and everything too. So it's funny because recovery is very similar to what I do business wise and team building, leadership, mm. personal development with these with these people. And I think we underestimate what we're capable of. Right. And when we think back to like when we were children. You know, like we try over and over again. Like when we learned to walk, hmm. did we stop the first time because it was hard? Right. No, we tried again and again and again. Same with talking. The resiliency just, yeah. right? Yeah. We made mistakes. Yeah. We tried again, right? Like we got told no how many times? We kept hmm. going. Mm-hmm. 
So like dig deep into that. Like we are capable of doing that. Every single human being is capable mm. of doing hard things. Right. It's just making that choice and that decision. You're going to stick with to it. To doing it. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So just to, just to kind of finish off your story here, where um, you had a social work degree mm -hmm. and you didn't become a social worker. No. I did. Okay, that's no, no. I think that's great, I actually. Didn't. Yeah, it's so, so you, funny. Yeah, so what you know, obviously, you probably had some conviction getting into the field, and like that's a hard yes. degree to get. Yes, and, and I loved it. Like I learned lots, which was great. And yeah. I mean, I always worked like with people in uh, recovery, right? And like hmm. I sponsored lots of women. I did you know speaking things, all that, right? I always always did stuff. But mm -hmm. when I graduated. I started to look at jobs available and at the time they were like 15 bucks an hour. And I'm like, I did not just put myself in $40,000 worth of student loan debt right. to get paid $15 an hour. Like I just right. didn't, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And my girlfriend was working in government at the legislature at the time. And I was like, Oh, government job. My parents have always told me to get a government mm -hmm. job because benefits, pension, all that kind of totally. stuff. And I ended up getting a job in politics. Really? so random. I knew okay. nothing about politics. Before my interview, I had to Google who's the premier. What? Like so what did, party is in power? How'd you pull that off? Well, I memorized it. Okay. <laughs> you were faking it till you make it. Yeah. And it was so funny because uh, I knew, I didn't know anything I was doing. And it was right before an election where they thought the power, the party that I was working for wasn't going to get reelected. And okay. so I wasn't guaranteed a job past a, a few months in. Yeah. Um, but that party did get reelected and they actually wanted me back because I did such a good job. No way. Yeah, which was cool. And I'm really grateful for that experience. I ended up working there for about two years and I learned a lot about politics. And um, I think the biggest takeaway for me in that was that like what we see in the media is so not true of what's actually going what's on. What's going on, of course. At all. Right. right. At all. And I'm like, yeah. wow, they twist everything. Right. And just how like even political parties against each other, like it's wild. They act like high school Right. teenagers like yeah, the, yeah. the insults at each other i'm like really like how is this a thing uh, right that right. our government how, how are we like, accepting what? this i've what? always wondered that uh, it's so <laughs> it's so ridiculous and at the same time it's very entertaining right yeah but, yeah so you but, had you had a uh, front row i did front row seats for two years I amazing did. and i learned a lot which i'm really grateful for and working in the legislature which is like a staple of victoria it's this <laughs> iconic thing yeah. like that was really cool and i'm grateful for that and and then after that i actually ended up working at cedars after that you did I did, just not okay. in a counseling position. Okay. Um, I, I worked with the clinical team for a little bit and um, like as an assistant, and I, I liked being on, I liked being in that environment. Like it mm -hmm. felt very comfortable in that home for me. But then I decided to take a break and try my hand at mortgages for a year and that failed miserably. Um, Good for you for trying all this though. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm all for that too, you know? Try yeah. new things. Try new things. Then that's the thing I can say confidently in my life that I've done is try new things and Many of them have failed, but I just keep mm -hmm. going. Right. So I'm like, what else am I going to do? Right. Like sit around and sulk and not try again? Like, right. no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Like, yeah. like if I want my life to change, it's up to me. Right. Um, the reason why that, that job failed, I would say though, was because I was in a really abusive relationship and that's something about my recovery. It's that, yeah, I, I stayed sober from alcohol and drugs, but I, I was in a lot of toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. Like that was my so lesson. That was, right. That I was had last... not learned to fully love myself and value myself and find self-worth. It right. took years for me mm -hmm. to get there. Um, so I ended up in like some really awful situations. And so when I was doing mortgages, I was also in this very abusive relationship, like physically, mentally, emotionally. And right. so I was so depressed and I became a shell of who I was. And I felt almost if not worse than how I felt before I went to rehab, which wow. was terrifying for me too. Yeah. Um, and thankfully I got out of that relationship. Like it took a lot, like me right. talking to my sponsor, all my friends in recovery, um, having counseling, my parents, I phoned the police. I ended up, um, doing victim services. Like, cause Holy. I just kept going back and mm -hmm. I never understood abusive relationships before. Like I'd be like, why do those women always go back? Mm -hmm. It's an addiction cycle. Right. It, the, there is like brain chemicals where it's like you get addicted to that, that high that and high low. Levels. Right. And I, it's, it's, it's still hard for me to describe it because I did view myself as like this strong woman who had a lot going for me. And that's right. how people saw me too. 
and then all of a sudden just became the shell of myself. Okay. And so that was, that was hard. And I remember my friend once being like, Steph, you used to walk into a room and like you would light up the room and you know, heads would turn. And yeah. now you walk into the room and you look at the ground right? like, and your lights dim. And I, I hated hearing that. How, how hard was it for you to maintain your recovery during that time? Like, was it compartmentalized? Was that two different, different aspects or? Yeah. Like I still, I still went to meetings. I just, I felt really depressed. I didn't have a sponsor at the time. And I walked into an old home group of mine where I know I knew my sponsor, mm. what my old sponsor was. And her and I did not leave on good terms. And that was like years prior. And I was sitting there and I guess she saw the look on my face. I went to the bathroom mm. uh, and she followed me in and was like, are you okay? Right. And I just started bawling. And I was like, no. Wow. And then she gave me a hug and she's like, let's go for coffee. And like our relationship has been so good since. Okay. And we, we rekindled that and she helped me a lot through that. So again, like this is where recovery came in clutch and the people right. of recovery yeah. like had my back again. And they know you enough to, and care about you yeah. enough to actually intervene and say to something. Follow me to right. the bathroom yeah. and ask, yeah. right. right? And that's what I love about recovery so much is that like, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's recovery. Mm-hmm anywhere you go like i've been traveling to vietnam thailand mexico barcelona australia i've been to AA meetings all those places really? okay and it's yeah. cool because like it's your family but you they're strangers right so i like that and so yeah recovery um had my back again in that situation with the abusive relationship and it, and it did help me but i had to i had to find my own way out of that mm -hmm. um and what ended up happening is i had to phone the cops again and um, they had to come check my welfare and uh, in walks my future ex-husband checking my welfare. So now we're like, okay, that's kind of a messed up situation, right? Okay. Because like that, like he was checking my welfare. I'm like, oh my God, you're my knight in shining armor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we end up getting together like a month later. So I now look at that, that I'm like, oh my God, that's so toxic. I can look back on that. But at the time... I really think he served a purpose because it got right. me away from my really abusive ex. It got me away from the toxic people that I allowed into my life at that time. Yeah. And him and he had two kids. So I instantly became a stepmom. I wow. loved them. Like I still love them. I'm actually taking my stepdaughter to Morgan Wallen tonight. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and so cool. she's 17 first year of UVic now. Okay. Um, and I love that. And then we ended up getting pregnant six months into our relationship. So with my son Hunter, okay. who's six years old and it's just so interesting because I truly believe that like God puts people into our life for a reason. And I know right. that my ex was put into my life for that reason. Like right. it allowed me, even though like he wasn't great, we have mm -hmm. a good relationship now co-parenting, but like, right. I'm not going to slander him on here, but he wasn't great. Yeah. Um, he, he did allow me to heal a lot from that other relationship. Sure. Right. And then also give me this most beautiful boy. Right ever. Okay. And so I was very, very active in recovery, lots of meetings, doing all that. And, um, you know, I just realized becoming a mother, it gave me a whole other purpose to life. Right. And it, I, it just made me very grateful. Cause I was like, Hunter's never going to have to see me drink or use drugs. Right. Ever. It's pretty amazing that, right. You've been so solid in your recovery by the time you, yeah. He gets this version of me. Right. Not yeah. the lost empty soul that I was when I was in addiction and all the things that go along with it too. Right. Cause when I was holding him as a newborn, I just realized like how innocent all these newborns that are being built, uh, built born. <laughs> they're being built. I guess. In, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're so innocent and not everyone has like, you know, parents that are capable of showing them love because they're mm. in their own addiction or mental health. Right. right? right? And they the, don't have the capacity. They don't yeah. have the capacity. And yeah. so it just gave me a lot of compassion for, for kids and for adults, because a lot of us adults right. who struggle with mental health and addiction started back, it started yeah. back before. Yeah. Right. But it definitely gave me a new purpose to life to be like, I really, truly, truly want to become the best version of myself. Right. Because if I want him to be the best version of himself and I want him to go after his dreams and think yeah. anything's possible, I need to show you him. You got to do it. Yeah. I got to show him. Right. And I also want him to grow up learning about recovery. Right. Right. Cause like it can be generational, right? Like it can be genetic. Absolutely. Um, both my grandpas were alcoholic. My parents weren't. Um, so it can be, and I want him mm. to know that there's a safe place to go and I want right. it to be an open, open topic of discussion. Right. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. No, no stigma, no shame, no guilt. No. Just talk about it. No, yeah. no. Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
that's, that's pretty amazing. And so six years old now, it's he's six. Yeah, it goes by cool. so fast. It, it's so it crazy. sure does. Yeah, yeah. I always say it's the the uh, best and the hardest thing that mm-hmm. <laughs> I've ever done. It <laughs> challenges you in it, so many ways. Absolutely. Like yeah. it's so hard in so many ways, but also the best thing ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ever. Like I said the the hardest and the best thing I've ever yeah. done. Right. Yeah. Like I, I would never choose not to be. Right a parent now that right. I am. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can't, I can't even yeah, imagine it. Right. No. Yeah, at that point. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I always say too, yeah, it kind of, you know, it forces you to really look at your values, like you say, and who you are and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yeah, you want to put your best foot forward to show and, and set that path so that, that your, exactly. your kids can. Right. Well, and so. it makes me stay on top of my recovery and my own right. well being, my own health and all those aspects, because even if I'm not slipping back into addiction, into actually using substances, we can sometimes slip back into old behaviors Absolutely. that are unhealthy right. and not helpful. And so having him is just like that extra reminder of like, right. no, like he deserves be the best, the best version, version of, you. of me. Yeah. And the best version of me is in recovery. It's also taking care of my health, exercising, eating healthy food, taking right. care of my mental health, like learning and yeah. growing. There's a lot to it. Totally. Right. And that's, that's something I know I've talked about 12 step. Right. And like, I don't go as much anymore, like maybe like once a year over the last couple of years to be truthful. Um, but that the 12 steps really gave me the foundation of life of like how to live life as a human being. It gives you like those values and like steps on what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's to turn your life and will over to your higher power. Right. Like, Mm to not always just think I'm, I'm in charge and I can do anything and everything like, right, no, right. but also like how to say sorry, how to look at our defects, like the yeah. things that are holding us back and actually being honest about it because totally, it's baffling to me that so many people walk around and don't do that, that don't yeah. look at themselves in the mirror being Absolutely. like, well, this is on me. <laughs> like, and, and having those points of inventory of actually being like, yeah. am I selling myself a line? Like, am I actually doing what I, I think I'm doing right now? Yes. And yeah, yes. yeah, actually being conscious and aware of who we are and the impact we're making. Right? Yes, that's yeah. it. It's like yeah. being aware of your own behaviors. Because right. to me, nothing's worse than being stagnant. Like mm-hmm. today, nothing is worse to me than right. not growing. Right. Like I don't ever want to stop growing. Like yeah. I love we're, it. We're not here for too long. No, <laughs> keep on growing. no. Yeah, and I want to see what I'm capable yeah. of. Yeah. Right? I love I it. see it. And also the other, the other thing about the steps was that, that nightly inventory. Mm-hmm. What can I do better? Right. Who do I owe amends to? Okay. How would I handle that situation different? Yeah. That's something I, I just like now it's so ingrained in my head that I actually walk around thinking that like if I leave a situation and it doesn't feel right to me in my gut, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, what do I need to check out here? Right. What is it? And yeah. I like that I can ask myself that, right? Yeah. Because then it gives me the opportunity to change things going forward. So you've made that kind of daily practice. Hey? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm such an, uh, such a preacher of the, yeah. <laughs> of the inventory. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And actually making practice of it because if not all of a sudden we can get back into our kind of subconscious ways and right. And, and, and not being aware. Right. That's so exactly it's, it. it's that routine of actually looking back. You it know, is. However that looks like to you, but yeah. yes. Right? And like for me too, right. Cause I said, you know, like I don't go to as many meetings now, but I talk to people in recovery almost daily. Like right. my best friends are in recovery. They're, they're we talk all the network. time. Yeah. I'm reading personal development books daily. I'm listening right. to personal development podcast daily right. like i'm You're doing still working your recovery yeah 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 it just right? looks different for you at, this, at this stage at this of the stage. game yeah at this stage would i recommend that right. for someone in early recovery right. absolutely no. not right. <laughs> like yeah, yeah like i think and i say this actually to a lot of people it's like i think people who are in early recovery like go to meetings like mm-hmm. go and obviously find a pathway that works for you like i'm right. you know recovery isn't linear and the same for everyone i yeah. know that we know that but like for me, I wouldn't be where I am today without going to those right. meetings. Find a way to connect, get out of your head, yes. talk about your struggles, yes. hear other people's struggles yeah. and relate to that and get power through yeah. that. Yeah. And, totally. and, and like take what you like and leave the rest. Yeah, I didn't right. like everything I heard at meetings. Yeah. I didn't like, it didn't resonate all with me, but totally. I, 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 I held on to the things that did, I did connect with. Right. That's what I held on to. Yeah. And then I also realized that everyone who's sharing in the meetings too, like they're just human. Mm-hmm. Like they're also, you know, sick in they're their own ways. Like, yeah. like it doesn't mean just because they have more time than me that what they said is right. right. Like if it doesn't feel right to me, that's okay. Yeah. You know, so yeah. take what you like, leave the rest. Like if you don't like some of the words in the literature, change them out in your head. Right. Like if you don't like the word God, change it out every time it's said to higher power, universe, the right. sun, whatever you want it to be. Right. 
It doesn't, you don't, it doesn't have to be you can black and white. It however you want to interpret it. Exactly. Yeah, and I think right. sometimes people get too caught up in that mm-hmm. um, or like going to a specific meeting that they don't like or there's someone mm-hmm. there that they don't like that like we just got to give it a chance. So I'd say anyone in early recovery, like I, I highly recommend putting yourself in the middle of recovery, like going to meetings, right. making those connections, right? following the suggestions. They're there for a reason. I didn't yeah. listen to all of them, but like, I do understand why they're there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I would have, totally. but I had to, I had to take my will back and do it myself. Right. On some of those right. things, but, but yeah, right. it looks a little bit different for me today. And I like, I love my life today. Right. I'm really grateful for it. So, and what do, what do you do? You're, you're jet, jet setting all over the world. Yeah. You've got your own company. What does, what does yeah. it, what does it look like now? And now you're mother of yeah. a six year old. Oh my gosh. It's a busy life. My yeah. life has been insane. Like I need to write a book one day because yeah. like, there's so much more, more to it than this. But, right. um, yeah, so I actually ended up working at Raven's View, the mental oh. health and addiction treatment center. Yeah. I was part of the startup team there okay. and I loved it. Like yeah, I, it's a really, really special program. It was there. really great. Yeah. Like I got to be the first face that people saw like I was the one to connect with them to get them into treatment and it's something I just genuinely love doing because I love connecting with people and because I've been in their shoes it's you're the perfect person to write yeah Yeah. I'm like I know like I know it's scary I've been there and like I will be here with you to walk you through like I'll hold your hand you can do this right and I loved that um but while I was working there, that's when my marriage fell apart and Hunter was two. Mm. And like my whole life came crumbling. Like there's all these lies I found out about. It was just a dark time. Right. But I'd been watching my girlfriend um, do a network marketing business, Arbonne. And right. I watched her life change significantly. So I had reached out to her asking her about it. And when my husband had asked me for a divorce, she asked me like, what do you want your life to look like in five years? And I was like, well, I want to buy a house. Like, I want to go traveling. Like, I want to take Hunter to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in debt. I don't want to be stressed out about money. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, are you going to are you gonna get there if you keep doing what you're doing right now? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, unless I win the lottery. Right. No. It's not like I was making bad money, but yeah. it wasn't, as a single mom, too, like, right. it wasn't going to be the income that would be able to do those it's things. It's going to get you by. Yeah. And so I decided to start my, my network marketing business while working full time. While wow. going through a divorce, while wow. having a two-year-old, so my life was insane. Holy! And I, I, I just ran with it because yeah. as soon as two, she also asked me this other question, which was like, "What do you want your life to look like if you're earning X amount of dollars per month?" And it was, it was like well over five figure. Just as a mm-hmm. hypothetical, what would you want your life to look like if you're making this amount of money a month? What would it look like? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, I want you to think about it. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll think about it. She's like, no, right now, like on the phone, I want you to think about it mm-hmm. and then tell me. And that's when I started to dream big. And I was like, oh my God, why have I never dreamt big before? Why mm-hmm. have I not actually been like, you are capable of doing more? And and, right. and like, why? And uh, that's when I just caught the vision and I ran for it. So I ended up promoting um, to the top of the company about not even a year and a half after I started my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quit Ravens U. So I quit my full-time job. So now I work for myself. I oh, do mostly, yeah, I do mostly all online. Um, and it's the best thing. It's a health and wellness company. So it aligns fully with my values totally. okay. and like being healthy, being our best self. Yeah. Um, and like I said earlier, it reminds me a lot of recovery too, in terms of the personal development, the community, the team calls are like meetings, mm-hmm. um, having a sponsor is like your upline and someone to mentor you. Like it's so it's so cool. So Amazing. I love it. Cause I also get to help a lot of, it's mainly women, some men change their lives and become the best versions right. of them. So you see other people just getting empowered through. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of these people are in recovery too, which is really, really cool to see okay. a lot of these people in recovery. But yeah. yeah, so life's really good. And I, I'm really grateful for it because this allows me the flexibility one to like be here with you today. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't have to go to a job today. Right. Like yeah. I was at the coffee shop working on my laptop before, but yeah. I get to choose my hours. I get to drop Hunter off at school. Like I did this morning. Right. I get to what pick a, him up. What a difference that, yeah, difference. that makes. Absolutely. I bought a You're house part for of the us. school community. You like, did. Yeah, I did. Holy, wow, yes. you. And one of, one of my goals too is to take him to Disneyland. And I knew when I became a single mom that it was going to take me 10 years. Like I was like, it's going to mm. take me like 10 years to save up for this right, kind of trip. Right. Well, I got to take him a few, wow. a couple years ago. And That's then so cool. I've taken him every year since now. Really? Like it's just, it's yeah. wild. And, and it always comes back to recovery for me. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, mm-hmm. cause I wouldn't be where I am today without recovery. Right. Straight up. Right. I wouldn't. 
It made me who I am today. It gave me these tools, the foundation, the personal development tools. Like it Mm. really gave me that grit and to show me that I can stick with something and that it is possible to change my life. Right. And I know that because I've seen so many other people's lives change too. Absolutely. And we always see that like the gift of recovery. I always mm -hmm. say that, you know, the fact that you had to just based on circumstances and and Mm -hmm. getting to where you are, it forced you to actually figure out who you are and yeah. what, what you're doing, you know, and, and how, and self-practice and discipline and all that yep. stuff. It kind of forced your hand, but a lot of people, they don't even, they don't go there, you know, because they haven't been challenged like that. Right. So it's scary. I look at it as, right. Yeah. So I look at it as, you know, yeah, those gifts of recovery. It's uh, yeah, it's yeah. such a positive, right? So it really is. Cause I yeah. think a lot of us, and this is true um, in recovery too. It's like, it's, it's obviously it's way more comfortable to sit inside our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. It really is, but that's not where we're gonna where we're gonna find growth. Right. That's not where we're gonna become our best selves and actually be happy. Mm-hmm. Is in our comfort zone. You'll have a certain level of happy, sure, mm-hmm. but you're not gonna be the happiest version and actually like beam with like right. your passions and life, right? right. Like we gotta challenge ourselves, yeah. and like how we build confidence is by challenging ourselves, right? Right, and then and then beating those goals exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, no, life's really good today. And I'm, I'm grateful. Like I really am. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, for me, I just see how much you put into practice. That is, you know, what we are always talking about, you know, like getting connected, uh, you know, talking about your recovery, Mm -hmm. uh, having that inventory and practice. So it seems like you've, you really took it at such a young age too. I think that's incredibly admirable that you, you took that and obviously took advice of people around you and yes. you know, yeah. Yes. And that's the thing too. Like I was really young, but it's never, it's never too late to get into recovery Absolutely. or too early to get into recovery. Right. Like, and if you're young and listening to this, like you're not going to miss out on anything by getting in recovery. I promise right. you. Yeah, like, the opposite. It's yeah. the opposite. You'll miss out on things if you stay in your addiction, right. like you will. And I've seen it time and time again. And I am just so grateful that I got, sober at a young age that like Mm. I didn't have to try doing it now with Hunter because I know that that would add a whole level of complication and guilt and shame Um, and impact his life in such a way too right yeah 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 but but I've worked with the most incredible people like in recovery and at those jobs and even in my current position too where like that's one of my favorite things about recovery is seeing the change in people Mm. like seeing how they come in and they're like down and out right and then seeing them flourish in life that light come back yeah yeah and it's not always linear like i said like you know like relapse can be part of people's story and Mm. i think that we need to remove that shame about it Uh, especially because in the program we count time Mm -hmm. and like sure it's great yeah i have 16 years right right but like let's say if i were to relapse it doesn't mean that 16 years went to waste. That's right. Like, Absolutely. It doesn't. We're not starting from scratch. No. Yeah. No. And so I think yeah. sometimes like counting the time can add that, that have, shame element. I have mixed feelings about it too. Right? Yeah. 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 I, have mixed, I, I think it's great because I love celebrating Same. and I love celebrating accomplishments. Mm-hmm. But as soon as pride becomes too attached to recovery, I get yeah. worried. Right. You know, because yes. I don't think that's what it's about. Right. It's, you know, exactly. Um, yeah. It's showing so it, people it's possible. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And that's, and it's great, but you know, and, and it's, you're totally right. You're never starting from scratch. If, if something happens and you have that setback. And I always think that that shame and guilt is like fuel to the fire. It's like, that's what our addiction eats up. Exactly. Right? It just eats that shit up. Exactly. And that's what it wants. Yes. That's its food. So, you know, yes. the, as soon as we start buying into that, then it's just, you know, exactly. addiction is, is taken over again. Exactly. Right? So. And it's just, it's just like also maybe you didn't relapse, but like you did something that doesn't align with who you are. And mm-hmm. it's like being a bit gentle with yourself, realizing you're a human being, right. you're not going to be perfect. We make Absolutely. mistakes all the time. It's what we do with it. Right. So like get back on the horse, like whether it's get back to meetings or like read a book or like make amends or whatever it is. Right. It's just like get back up. And also the thing about relapse, too, is it happens often a long time before people actually do. Right. With the behaviors. So it's starting to like it's figuring out where where did that where did you start going down the wrong path? What was it? Yeah. Because that self-awareness is so key. Right to like actually living a good life. It's like being self-aware of what's going on. Cause like, I know like if I start isolating and I'm thinking in my head Mm. and I'm thinking in circles, I'm like, this is not doing me any good. Right. Like I need to get to a meeting. I need to talk to somebody. I need to change the way my thoughts are thinking 
right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's hard to do, but we can learn how to do that too. Right. But meetings are a good place for that. So anyways, I did just want to say that too, that like, I know it's not always linear and whatever, Absolutely. whatever way your way to recovery is, it's like, we just encourage you right. to, to keep going and to get there. And I know there's many different pathways and you know, not, it's not one size fits all for everybody, right. but I'm just like a huge, I think, fan of people living their best lives. Right. whatever that looks like. And yeah. if you're truly happy, then I'm happy for you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if you have those slips, just keep on, keep on getting up and keep on up? trying again. We're here yeah. for you. That's right. We're yeah. here for you. We got the support here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Man, I'm so glad you came on today. This has been <laughs> a, like a really good chat. Um, yeah. And I'm just really, really happy that you can come on and just be such a strong spokesperson, especially for women, um, you know, in this community. And like I said, I, I wish more people could speak so openly about recovery mm-hmm. as you, um, cause I think it's so empowering and, and people need to hear it. So, um, yeah, hopefully everybody listening today, you know, really has a lot of takeaways. I know they will. So awesome. Thanks yeah. so much for having me awesome. on and Thank I hope you, you guys enjoyed Amazing. it. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Totally. Thanks okay. so much. Thanks. Okay. What did I say? Don't you think she's charismatic? I think she's charismatic. Uh, thank you once again to Stephanie for coming onto this program and uh, sharing your story. I really feel like Stephanie is such a strong voice for women in recovery, uh, not only in our community, but uh, you know, in the, the greater recovery community. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It really means a lot. And um, you know, once again, Stephanie was uh, one of the members of our cohort of this year's recovery campaign. And, and I will be having on uh, more members of the cohort in the, the months to come. Um, our next podcast will be in two weeks time. I'm going to be taking a little bit of a, a departure from our, our typical uh, model and, and bringing on a, a really special guest. So excited for that. Please stay tuned. Um, you know, in the meantime, please uh, keep spreading the word, uh, not just about uh, this podcast, but, um, you know, about Umbrella Society and the work we do to help support individuals, um, but also just about recovery uh, in general. Let's start having these hard conversations. Uh, you know, I think that addiction is a, a topic that has become uh, quite political and quite divisive. And I really think we need to break down those barriers and just have that conversation about how we can best um, help and serve those that are struggling with um, substance use and addiction uh, challenges in their life. Um, you know, I'm really a, a firm believer that we need to uh, drop stigma and, uh, you know, drop maybe preconceived ideas and uh, really just try to work together to find a solution. So, you know, once again, let's keep this conversation going. In the meantime, uh, you will not hear from us for a couple of weeks, but then we will be back. And this is going to continue uh, right through probably until the spring. So uh, please keep listening. We have some uh, great podcasts coming up in the near future. Uh, until then, uh, from Victoria, B.C., My name is Blake Anderson.